The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Isaiah 1-3 Hi, this is Pastor Jason from Christian Life Church in Waverly, New York. Welcome to Master's Crib, a weekly podcast where we interview pastors and leaders about the biblical teaching of authority. This program is designed to go alongside a personal Bible study aimed towards spiritual growth, biblical understanding, and a Christian worldview. Thanks for tuning in. So today on episode 18, we have Pastor George Grant. George is the author of nearly 100 books. He's the founder of the Franklin Classical School and also the founder of the New College in Franklin. He's also the pastor of Parish Presbyterian Church, a proud patriot, and he lives with his family in Middle Tennessee. Pastor Grant, welcome to Master's Crib. It is my delight to join you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, very excited. So if we could take just a, just a few minutes and uh, talk about you and your ministry. So let's take it back as far as we can with the beginning of you stepping into the, into the role of pastor. How long ago was that and what led you to, to decide to go ahead and listen to God and do that? <laughs> Well, you know, it's, uh, I was not raised in a Christian home. I came to faith as a, a sophomore in high school at a, a revival at uh, our high school football stadium mm. and began to study the word and to grow uh, very quickly after that. It was during the time of the Jesus movement, and so there was a lot of enthusiasm and excitement and you know, an explosion of contemporary Christian music and all of that. And so I was, I was grounded during that time. The first uh, few books that I read, uh, because I knew nothing, I visited a little Christian bookstore and went to the sale table and just picked up some things rather ignorantly. But the first book that I read was Charles Haddon Spurgeon's The Soul Winner, Mm. Uh, the second book I read was uh, the Genevan commentary on the book of Judges. And the third book that I read was uh, Richard Baxter's The Reformed Pastor. Okay. So right from the start, the Lord in his providence just got me some really substantial uh, early foundations. And uh, so uh, when I went off to college, I began to do Bible studies in my college dorm room and started to do evangelism and discipleship. I got connected with a student ministry on campus. And uh, even though I was really a brand new Christian and had never really had any discipling of my own apart from books, I was thrown into leadership and began thinking then that perhaps ministry might be a direction I might go. Uh, But I I changed my uh, college major from architecture to political science, thinking that perhaps the way the Lord could use me would be in a Christian lobbying or a think tank or something like that Mm. in Washington, D.C. I was just really interested in politics and pursued that all the way through to starting a master's program 
but along the way, became convinced I needed to go to seminary. Mm. Uh, by that time, uh, by the last year of, of college, I had met and married my wife, and she was, um, she was very, very um, committed to seeing whatever the Lord's calling was for us. And so we went off to seminary. I hated seminary. Uh, <laughs> and uh, partly because of a lot of neo-Orthodox theology at the seminary that I went to. Okay. And so we left after one year, came back home to our uh, hometown in Texas where I started doing Bible studies, I, I did some coaching. I was I was uh, involved in intercollegiate athletics, and so coaching was kind of a natural direction for me to go. And uh, those Bible studies wound up sort of uh, morphing into a, a, a lot more substantive direction than I had planned. Mm. And one evening, several of the men came to me and said, uh, George, we would love for you to prepare a sermon because ah. already this is our church. Wow. And so we planted a church and uh, pastored that church in Houston, Texas uh, for almost 10 years uh, before I, because I never lost my interest in politics and mm. uh, uh my interest in social uh, reform, uh, particularly reform when it comes to the poor and uh, in the pro-life arena, I felt like my primary calling was in writing and in these social issues. Mm. And I felt like that probably wasn't a good fit for a pastor. I was concerned that our people would um, you know, if, if, if your pastor is distracted from the care of souls, I felt like that might be a really bad thing. So we decided to move to Nashville and I went to work for a publishing house and uh, was engaged in producing a lot of the literature that I felt like was really needed for the time. But in the process, I discovered that the publishing industry is not really ministry. It really is a business. Mm. And uh, so uh, after a year in the publishing business, we moved back to Texas for me just to write and travel and speak. And that's what I did. Mm. And did that for a number of years. But Dr. D. James Kennedy in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, at Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church, one of the great, great uh, pastors and disciplers of the 20th century, contacted me out of the blue and said, George, we, we really want you to come here to Fort Lauderdale and implement some of these uh, visions for social reform for the poor and uh, pro-life stuff and uh, some of the concerns that I had in that day of, about pornography uh, bring that to Fort Lauderdale and make that a center point in um, what was then the largest Presbyterian church in the United States. And uh, so that's how I got back into pastoring wow. uh, under Dr. Kennedy. I was involved in his media ministry. Eventually, I became his vice president. And I went from 
never having had more than three employees to suddenly having 600 employees wow. overnight. And uh, it was a trial by fire. I learned a lot. And um, at the end of my time in Fort Lauderdale, knowing that I needed to focus more on my children and my marriage, we moved back to Nashville uh, and my intention was for me to travel and write again. But once again, a group of men came and asked if we would plant a church. And so we did. Uh, we planted Parish Presbyterian Church, and we've planted two daughter churches since then. And uh, we're looking to plant another one soon. And uh, the Lord is just blessed. And I've come to realize that it is possible to balance my concerns with uh, these larger issues and uh, at the same time uh, care for the flock. Wow, that is so awesome. That is so awesome. So uh, you already touched on this, but I just uh, a little more pointed. So the end of the day, I mean, you have a stack of bookshelves, you know, that, that you wrote. You spilled out a lot of ink. What is your hope? What is your goal? What do you intend on accomplishing by all of the things that you're doing? Like, what is the mission of your ministry? The mission of my ministry is to proclaim the gospel to every detail of life. Mm. And for, I, I think, for an effective uh, uh, megaphone to a culture, you have to address the big issues, the mm. big questions. So what's on the front lines? Where is the battle being fought? And that's, that's where we've got to go. Wow. So I have I've written on a lot of subjects. I've written a lot of history and biography, but all of it is focused on uh, portraying the comprehensive Christian worldview approach to everything. Mm -hmm. Abraham Kuyper, the great Dutch reformer at the beginning of the 20th century, uh, famously said, uh, there is not one square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not say mine. Wow. That is so awesome. I have truly been blessed by your ministry now uh, for a number of years. I'm personally, actually, my congregation, a lot of people that are going to be listening to this conversation have actually heard some of your work probably without knowing it. Um, I've read several passages from or several portions of the dispossessed um, to our people and actually sections of uh, Killer Angel, which I've read five times now and I really recommend that to anyone. I mean, just the heart and soul that you pour in to, to these works of literature are just amazing. I mean, the knowledge that you can walk away with is just astounding. So I really, really am grateful for your ministry, which is one of the reasons why I'm really excited that you said, uh, yes, that you would come on here today. So <laughs> well, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. So I'd like to take just a couple minutes and uh, tear into God's word with you. So we're going to look at uh, Jeremiah verses 1 through 10. And the cool thing about this is it kind of just hops right off the back of the conversation we've been having about about uh, your experience in ministry. So it says this, The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, 
and until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them. For I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. So this is a huge section with a lot of implications. So just ask you for a couple seconds, Pastor George, if you would talk from this passage specifically about the authority of the word of God. Well, you know, one of the things that is very evident here in Jeremiah and you know, the Apostle Paul reaffirms this over and over again uh, in the New Testament. The Word of God is God's Word, not man's Word. Uh, in Galatians chapter 1, for instance, the Apostle Paul goes over and over with the Galatians who have been uh, deluded and drawn away by another gospel, which is no gospel at all, uh, because they believed that it was possible that what Paul had taught them was his take, his vision, his words. And what Paul wanted to drive home to them was that, uh, in fact, there was only the one word of God. It is the authoritative voice of the Lord God himself. Uh, It's the Lord uh, who knew Jeremiah before he was even formed in the womb. It was the Lord who consecrated him before he was born. It was the Lord who appointed him a prophet to the nations. Uh, And so even though Jeremiah was himself reluctant, uh, he said, I'm only a youth. Uh, the, the, The Lord says, look, it's, it doesn't matter that you're only a youth. Don't, don't even say that uh, because I'm the one who's sending you and whatever I command you, that is what you shall speak. That, that, that is strong language there in, in verse uh, seven. And then, uh, you know, to <clears throat> sort of drive the whole thing home in verse nine, Uh, We're told that the Lord put out his hand and touched Jeremiah's mouth. And the Lord says, I've put my words in your mouth. So the the whole thrust of the passage is that uh, in in a, a marvel that is as deep and as profound as the incarnation of Christ himself, uh, the Lord God, that uses his appointed means of grace to declare his truth to the world. Mm -hmm. And he takes fallen creatures like Jeremiah, like you and me, uh, to proclaim truth to a broken and fallen world. And this truth plucks up and breaks down. It destroys and overthrows. It builds and it plants. Uh, You know, it's a 
It's a picture very much like what we see in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. It's the full range of the whole of every discipline that comes under the authority of the Word of God. Mm. So looking specifically at this calling that he gives him, he says something that we really don't see all over Scripture. He says that before God formed him in the womb, he knew him. What exactly does he mean by he knew him then? Well, you know, in Ephesians chapter 1, we're told that before the foundation of the world, uh, the Lord calls his own. So the, um, the, the import here is, is really simply saying that God is sovereign. He fulfills his purposes, uh, purposes that, that were put into motion before the foundation of the world. This is the omniscience and the omnipresence and the omnipotence of God declared in a, in a particular circumstance. So, you know, we, um, we have this narrow frame uh, to understand, uh, a narrow frame that is uh, bogged down by faulty memory and limited scope and sight. But what this is declaring is that God has a comprehensive vision of past, present, and future, uh, and he puts into practice his providential purposes. Mm, that's amazing. So God clearly <laughs> sends Jeremiah out, but where does he get the authority to do that? I mean, God wants to accomplish something, uh, and I know, I know this seems simple, but it's important to, to be able to have a good handle on this. Where does God get the authority to take a hold of someone's life and say, this is what you're going to do? You know, um, I, I, the beautiful declaration of, of uh, Psalm 24, I think, is the best answer to that question. And, and it's simply this. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Uh, he is um, the creator of all things. He flung the stars into their places. He made all that there is in heaven and on earth. Mm. And therefore, he is sovereign over all. He is yes. the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. Mm. Uh, his voice is the voice of authority. So clearly, God is the ultimate authority, the ultimate one we answer to. Now, here, he does something really specific it seems as though he gives authority in what he says Jeremiah is going to do. I mean, is that something we see all over Scripture, Pastor George, God giving this authority? Yeah, you know, it's, it's really interesting. We see it right from the beginning uh, when uh, God gives Adam and uh, then to Adam and Eve this uh, sub-creative role where Adam is to name all of the animals, uh, the, the naming responsibility of God suddenly is given to this vice regent man on earth, and uh, that authority is passed on. And then uh, we, we see in uh, the great covenant cutting ceremonies uh, and declarations of Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, uh, where God is dealing with Abraham, uh, he gives him authority and mm -hmm. dominion over vast swaths of land and this 
eternal covenantal promise that that's the passing of authority. And then over and over and over again, uh, we see this with the prophets, the minor prophets, the major prophets, and then in the New Testament. Again, this is, this is Paul's whole point in Galatians chapter 1. He speaks not on his own authority, by, but by the delegated authority of the Father. Mm. That's amazing. So bringing that up into, uh, into you know, some contemporary implications here, do you see Christians in our day as having a good understanding of biblical authority? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, think, uh, it, it's, I think that's an easy no. <laughs> we are a generation that is in revolt against maturity. Hmm. And because we're in revolt against maturity, we are in revolt against any form of authority. We, mm. we have really bought lock, stock, and barrel. Uh, the philosophy of the French Revolution, what we're seeing in the streets of Minneapolis and New York City and uh, in Seattle and all across the nation today, really is the philosophy of the French Revolution worked out. Mm. Uh, and it's a rebellion against authority. It's a rebellion against uh, spheres of jurisdiction and uh, the application of God's uh, God's delegated governments. Mm. And that, that 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 kind of rebellion always ends, as Herb Schlossberg points out so powerfully in his book *Idols for Destruction*. It always ends badly for man. It always uh, is a is a forecast of a new kind of tyranny. Mm. Every society has blasphemy laws. You can tell what the God of a society is by what it is that you are not allowed to say. Wow. In the same way, every society has creeds and confessions. You can tell what the God of a society is by what you are required to say and believe. Mm. So what we have is the transfer of legitimate authority uh, from the structures that God has put into place in modern America uh, to these false authorities. But the problem with the false authorities is that they set themselves up against each other, and so they consume each other. Uh, th this is why, you know, the, the master of the guillotine, Robespierre, wound up being a victim of the guillotine. Uh, they, they consume themselves. So when you have a rebellion against God's legitimate authority and you have these false authorities put into place, these false blasphemy laws, these false uh, creeds and confessions, you wind up with chaos. Mm. So clearly, if Christians are not getting this, then the next, uh, the next step we could take is uh, maybe consider, are the pastors teaching this? Mm -hmm. And if the pastors are not teaching this, Pastor George, do you think it's a problem that they don't understand it themselves? Or is it perhaps that they don't feel that they have the authority to preach on this? Or how do you see that going? Well, I think some of it is fear and timidity. 
Uh, but a lot of it truly is ignorance. Uh, one of the things that I do is I sit on uh, what, what is kind of an examination board for young men coming out of seminary uh, desiring to uh, go into ministry in, in our area, in, in our network of churches, and uh, sit on this uh, committee. And I'm astonished by the lack of knowledge of the Bible mm. that these graduates of seminaries come out of seminary with. They don't know the Bible. They don't know church history. They don't understand systematic theology. They've got uh, a lot of empathy, a lot of desire to help people, a lot of clever ministry tricks, but they don't have a lot of substance. Mm. Wow. So literally like going into the war without a weapon, they want to go going into war without a weapon, going into war without even knowing that it's a war. Oh, wow. So now you have a unique opportunity because you get to sit on this board, but us as a church here in 2020 and considering all these things, where does real change begin? Where does real change begin for Christians to begin to have a good understanding of God's authority that is, uh, that is not just something that's knowledge, but something that's applicable to their everyday life? Well, the good news is that God's purposes will never be frustrated. Mm. The good news is, is that God is still God and we are not. The, the good news is that his good providence uh, will prevail. Uh, there may be a lot of heartache and a lot of brokenness uh, along the way, but uh, the truth is, is that, that God will prevail and he has a plan. And his plan is pretty simple. It's called the church. Mm. The church is plan A, and there is no plan B. Mm. So when you ask, okay, what do we do? Well, what we do is we build up the church. We grow the church. We disciple the young men and women in the church. We teach the Word of God uh, in the local church where God has us planted. Mm. And we trust that God will use that to change the world. Wow. Praise God. That is so awesome. Very awesome. So if our folks want to uh, learn more about you, more about your ministry, how can they do that, Pastor George? Well, I have a website, uh, georgegrant.net, and uh, folks can go there and they can find the books and videos and all kinds of stuff there. Uh, our church has a website as well. You can link to that from the, from the georgegrant.net site. I'm, I've got a public Facebook uh, page as well as a private one, and uh, our ministries have all got Facebook pages and Instagram and all of that. So, yeah, um, it's it's crazy, but we've we, we've got all of the all of the tech toys out there. So, well, that's wonderful. So, uh, just one more question for you: If you were going to recommend a book that is uh, applicable on this topic. And, you, you know, not, not even one you read, maybe, or, or maybe, I'm sorry, not one you read, one you wrote, maybe. Um, but what would be a book that you would point people to and say, hey, if you really want to have a good understanding of God's authority, read this? Um, I would say w one of the first books I would point anyone to is Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Mm. 
So great book that uh, really gives you a sense of the glory, the majesty, uh, and the authority of the Most High God. Wow. And it's a classic for a reason. It's incredibly well written. It's uh, convicting and uh, inspiring and encouraging all at the same time. Mm. So I, I, you know, I just I, I love that particular book. Um, and uh, th- there are a host of others that I could recommend. But if I were to say, okay, here's a Desert Isle book, <laughs> take this one, B.J. Wow. Pecker, Knowing God. Wonderful. Well, Pastor Grant, I just uh, thank you so much for your time. I'm going to be praying for you, for your family, and for your ministry out in Tennessee. So thanks again for coming on Master's Crib. Absolutely. What it has been my joy. God bless you. God bless you, too.